Hi, this is Gary Sheffer of the Boston University College of Communication. I'm here with my outstanding podcast partner and CCO at Enbridge, Mike Fernandez, for another episode of The Crux of the Story. I think this is number 96, Mike. All right. All right. Yeah. Did you have to did you have to run that through chat GPT? Do is we have some new music this week, Mike. Uh-huh. For the crux of the story. It took us 95 episodes to get some new new music. Ask our listeners to tell us intro music, whether they like it or not. The performed by the Crux Orchestra. Um, <laughs> and specifically for our focus on communications and society. So let us know and and maybe we will have to go into chat GPT and and generative AI and see see if we can find some better music. That's our topic today. And our guests are Richard Bowman and David Boyle. And we're going to talk about a technology, of course, that is of interest to uh, all of our listeners, generative AI. Uh, Richard is the director of This Is Insight, a consumer and market research and data consulting firm that supports brand growth with the team at Audience Strategies. He has more than 15 years experience covering fast moving consumer goods, media and entertainment industries, where he designed and delivered consumer segmentations and innovation plans for some of the world's largest companies. David has more than 20 years experience developing audience intelligence and strategy capabilities for foremost, some of the most foremost luxury and entertainment brands. He currently works as the director of audience strategies, which supports businesses in better understanding their audiences to empower growth. I always like to talk about where people earn their degrees, just to show the kind of smart people we get on the crux. Richard holds a master's degree in international marketing from King's College London, and a bachelor's degree in experimental psychology from the University of Bristol. David holds a bachelor's degree in mathematics, wow, from the University of Warwick. Richard and David, the reason we're having them on is I noticed, uh, gee, a month or so ago, a new book that they've written, and it's called Prompt, A Practical Guide to AI-Powered Brand Growth with ChatGPT. It provides a different, more opportunistic perspective than most other takes I've seen on ChatGPT. Maybe that's because I'm in academia and we're all sort of freaking out about ChatGPT and how it might change things in the classroom. We're going to discuss the book as well as new developments in generative AI, the way businesses can use it, particularly brands, to drive growth, and how business and communicators can stay on top of this technology. Welcome to The Crux, Richard and David. Welcome to The Crux. Each week, two of the world's top communicators take you behind the scenes of the news of the day to explore the crux of communications that are shaping business, politics, and our daily lives. Hello, this is Gary Shepard. Hi, I'm Mike Fernandez, and we're glad to be with you from Boston University. Thanks for having us. Terrific. So... There's so much to talk about here. I, I, I really hardly know where to start other than to say generative AI has just grown by leaps and bounds in recent years. Companies such as Facebook, Meta, and Microsoft have been developing AI software and programs for a while. Meta, for instance, released an AI program called BlenderBot in August 2022 to a little fanfare. Then OpenAI's just sort of scrambled the tech scene with the release of its open source AI text program, ChatGPT. 
which in its first five days, a million people signed up back in November for ChatGPT. And it's, of course, been the spotlight of lots of media attention and, and now has gotten the attention of our of our two guests. Richard, I'm going to start with you. I'm not sure our listeners need a real grounding in generative AI, but can you please tell us what it is and sort of how it works? Fantastic. So let's start simple then. Generative AI, this is AI, which is generating content. So we're all used to Googling a term and it will play back existing information. It'll take us to an existing website, an existing piece of music, an existing video. Generative AI is creating original novel content. That could be text, as we're very familiar with through ChatGPT. Could also be images. It's not limited to text or images. That might also be audio, video, who knows what's coming next. Mm -hmm. In terms of how it works, we're certainly no experts. We're we're not the ones creating the AI, we're not in there tweaking the algorithms. But the key thing with generative AI is a training set. So generative AI must have a training set on which it's built. And then you're no doubt familiar with the term machine, machine learning. But machine learning then is the element of AI, which is understanding the, the prompt, the request, the, the ask from the user, and mm -hmm. working out from that training set from that source information, what is the correct response? So in the instance of ChatGPT, it is wonderfully vague on what it's been trained on, but it talks about <laughs> text notes, articles, books, web pages, and social media posts. So, so it's a lot like human beings. We, we output what we're trained in. Absolutely. So, so first of all, welcome to both of you, Richard and David, to the crux. But it almost sounds like what's happening is it's sucking in all the relevant information due to your query. Um, it's putting it in a blender and then somehow pushing this back out in a way that we get a finished text. Now, in some ways, there have been lots of different experiments, lots of different work, even by uh, by journalists associated with AI going back a few years. Mm -hmm. I think even the Washington Post experimented with having essentially the first draft of a sports story mm -hmm. uh, generated out of AI because of the, all the data that goes in, in terms of you know, if you're looking at a baseball game or a football game, all those statistics presume that something took place. And so you can almost write it from there. But what, uh, as I understand it, chat GPT, and I think that stands for generative prompt text, departs from this model in the sense that it, it, it kind of pulls a lot of stuff together, but in a, in a quick and efficient way. David, what sets chat GPT apart from some of these other AI programs that tend to use, you know, kind of large language models and why does this matter? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and like you say, there have been so many models that were on the market, which did not get anywhere near the same attention, in particular from the same company, from OpenAI. There are models that do almost everything, chat or quite a lot of what ChatGPT does that have been on the market free to use for quite a long time. They did not get this level of excitement. So. I think there's three things that really came together here. The first is that it's very easy to use. It's not that like the other ones are particularly hard, but they're mm -hmm. a little 
somewhat technical. It was not an intuitive interface. There were lots of settings to play with, and that's enough to put people off. That's not good enough, though. Second, it's the first time it, a very good AI came out. Like It usually gives a pretty good answer, even with relatively simple prompts and without knowing very much about what it is or how it works. And the third thing is that it's broadly applicable. So it applies to almost any topic. You can write poetry or uh, guitar chords. You can do business strategy, which Hmm. is a lot of where we focus. So almost anybody who dives in gets something they can relate to out first time that's pretty good and easy to do. And that is transformative. Yeah. Well, well, in fact, I've heard that uh, professors have used it to write sample responses to exams. Uh, coders have used it in coding competitions. I know a colleague for Giggles who used it to produce a first draft of a vision and mission statement for his organization. And, <laughs> and, and then U.S. Congressman Jake Oshenklaus uh, of Massachusetts uh, 4th Congressional District even recently delivered a speech on the floor of the House of Representatives in the United States that had been written by chat GPT. Uh, David, with AI programs being used in so many different ways, do you see any limitations on what programs like chat GPT can do? And should I have used chat GPT to generate today's interview questions? <laughs> yes. Definitely. <laughs> so the, yeah, the easiest thing to have done would have been to take a copy of the book or at least the synopsis or the summary of the book, paste it in and then say, hey, what are 10 questions I could ask these guys? <laughs> All right. <laughs> or, or maybe what are 10 thoughtful, provocative, exciting questions I could ask these guys? that would be useful too, and then explain who your audience is. Yeah, absolutely. It would have done a great job, and we've used it a lot for exactly that use case. Um, so but- does, that, does that mean you're, 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 you're back in your easy chair a lot more? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the question is, how do you use that? And I think there's some people who will use it to spend more time on the beach. Good on them. I salute that. And there are some people who will use it to enable them to do more work, take on more projects and, and, and punch way above their weight. It's a superpower. And I think that's a great gift that this gives you. Do you want time off or do you want to achieve more and do more and have bigger impact in the world? So absolutely. But back to your question, I think um, you were talking about all the various use cases. Is there anything it can't do? Um, another use case that surprised me um, was an electronic music artist I've been working with over the last couple of days uh, who was very cynical to start with and is now using it to help him to write music. I didn't think it would achieve that. In the right hands, it does, and apparently it's exceptional. He's very qualified. He should know. So actually, I think we need to flip the question, not what can it do, but exactly your question, what can't it do? Mm-hmm. And there was a, uh, on Twitter, there was a challenge a few weeks ago now. Somebody said, uh, I will give $20 to anybody who comes up with a text-based problem that ChatGPT can't reliably solve, but where an eight-year-old reliably can and to my knowledge, the only prize that was given out after many attempts, the only prize that was given out was a prize around uh, requiring recent knowledge, which it does not have. Um, but apart from that, I don't think there's anything it can't do. The question is, how good is it? But there's nothing it can't do. That's crazy. But it may be limited to how, how good the person doing the query is. Interesting. 
Yeah, there's an absolute, absolutely, yeah. And so if you dive in and can't make it do what you want, your first assumption should be that you didn't write the right prompt and that you need help writing the right prompt. Your first assumption should not be it's not capable. <laughs> that, that, that would be an error. And we've made that mistake plenty of time. <laughs> well, I want to come back, Mike, you know, to, to your discussion that it's been around a while and used for a lot of things. You know, in, in our business, in corporate communications, et cetera, for years, some of the first drafts, not drafts, first stories that come out on earnings, financial earnings are written, we used to say robots, we used to say, right? I I guess it's the same thing, right? And I remember having a conversation with the CEO of a big company saying, and, and this person said to me, boy, those first stories, they're just killing us. They're just killing us. How can you change it? You know, can you talk to these people? And I said, no, I can't talk to these people. <laughs> They're written by robots. And and maybe if our earnings were better, uh, the stories would be better. But uh, so anyways, so generative AI has changed a lot over the years. And, and it's changing pretty much as we speak. Businesses are implementing AI more and more in their growth strategies, which is what your book really focuses on a lot and why I liked it so much. I know BuzzFeed, for example, recently announced it would use software developed by OpenAI to create content for its site, such as their well-known quizzes. David, how are media companies and tech companies responding to AI's growing presence and its future? I, I did read in Fortune this week, you know, they, they, they call it ChatGPT both awesome and terrifying. <laughs> Is that the case? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Crux. On The Crux, we discuss the intersection of communications, business, and society. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and on our website at thecruxpodcast.org. Now, let's get back to the episode. I think that's a good summary. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of chief executives who've stood up and given talks internally to their team saying AI is the future. We need to incorporate AI into what we do. I think the problem is it often stops there. I think you're right. In what way should we use it and in in which jobs? And that's where you get to the terrifying part because there's a lot of people feel like it's going to replace them or do their job for them or, you know, things like that. Um, And so I guess our book is with our attempt at a solution to this, which is a very practical guide to specifically how you can use it. Um, And one of our big findings throughout the book is that what it does is to help you to do your job better. It amplifies any skills you already have. Uh, it doesn't replace you and it doesn't um, you know, enable somebody with no skills to suddenly do your job. No, skills, guidance, judgment are absolutely critical in our, in our extensive experience, having practiced this in our field. Well, well and, and talking about practicing it in your field, you know, speaking of writing the book, you use chat GPT to actually write parts of it, or maybe it's more accurate to say that chat GPT wrote parts of your book. David, what was that process? And did you like what it produced? Did anything about it surprise you? Well, I would say it surprised us how little of the book we were able to get ChatGPT to write. But <laughs> I think 
there's an interesting lesson there, which is because we're not writers, <laughs> we actually, ChatGPT amplifies your craft. We weren't quite sure how to use it to write. We knew how to use it to do business strategy. So we ended up doing a lot more writing than I think we would have done if we'd written the book now, knowing a lot more about it. Um, it was really helpful in doing the things that we like to do, though, which we were good at, and we know how to prompt it. It was good at coming up with ideas. So we put in uh, a synopsis of what we thought the book was going to be about. And then we said, hey, what are we missing? <laughs> and sure enough, there's some great ideas that we've not quite thought of. Um, it was good at like summarization. So we'd write quite a long paragraph, which we thought did a great job of explaining uh, our perspective. And then we, we, we put that in and say, hey, can you make this a little bit tidier and neater and clearer? And it would come back with something that was just mind-blowing to me as a non-writer. No. <laughs> Much better. <laughs> well, what I, what um, I love about today's conversation, as, as well as the book, is that you're very honest about the limitations. You write that it's capable of producing what you call bullshit. Uh, David, what do you mean? And can you give us an example from the experience of writing the book? Yeah, so... I, I, well, the interesting thing is, yes, it absolutely will produce plausible nonsense. Um, <laughs> bullshit. Um, and and it, it will do that relatively frequently. And by the way, that's something they're really trying to clamp yeah. down on. And so they've improved this a lot since we started the book. But it still happens. So one of our golden rules is that you should never believe what it says. You should always fact check it. Um, and it does a pretty good job most of the time, but always fact check it. That's on you as the user to fact check it before you pass it on. And I, I actually can't think of great examples when we were writing, but there were two cracking examples over the last week, one of which is a $100 billion problem. I'll tell you about those. So Google uh, last week announced their chat uh, bot. Uh, and in their demo, they asked it about accomplishments from the James Webb telescope. That is a factual question mm -hmm. to an AI, which we would not advise as a good use case. They did. It made a mistake. Oh, no. And it took $100 billion off the share price. So that would be a good example <laughs> of bullshit. You should have now, even more interesting than that is if you go back, when Bing, Microsoft Bing, announced their version of it, they gave tons of examples in their announcement. There was quite a lot of bullshit in there as well. You'll appreciate this because one of it was like summarize some financial statements. Uh -huh. Very simple job, which you said has been solved for many exactly. years. Bing just like made up numbers <laughs> and used them in the demo. Nobody noticed. And so don't use AI for facts unless you want to fact check them. There's lots of other use cases. We write a whole book about it, but don't use it for facts unless you want to fact check there them. There you go. Well, Richard, if, if a business is considering adoption of chat GPT as a tool to promote its brand or grow its audience to get specific around a, a, a task that a lot of our listeners are curious about, how should they start and what should they keep in mind as they proceed? So I think first to answer your question, I don't see it as binary as that. I certainly don't see it as stop everything, we're going to use it or no, we're not going to use it. I definitely mm -hmm. see the adoption is low level, experimental, it's fragmented, it's completely discoordinated across um, functions within a business, across seniority levels across the business, potentially. 
attitudes to tech adoption within a business. Where we see it working well, we think teams come together and think about the community culture of using tech like this within a company. Being transparent to share with other people how they're using it, what are the positives, what are the real watch outs. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, growing and iterating together, we make the point throughout the book, iterate, iterate, iterate. There's, mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. think there's such thing as the perfect prompt. Otherwise, it would have flooded the internet. The idea that businesses have different tasks, every member of that business has different tasks, we think each team member should be challenged with how can ChatGPT make those tasks better? How can they make them quicker? How can they make them more efficient? And the answer is probably very different for each task, for each person, potentially this week versus next week. So it's really this culture of inspiring use, of transparency to share those lessons, to grow together, to learn together, whilst at the same time being exceptionally cautious. This is so new. This is yeah mm-hmm. ink is hot off the press we should be so cautious just of how much we're leaning into this so a lot of the lessons in the book are yes think about that breadth of use think about how robust and quick and efficient it can be but always capping that with human curation human creativity yeah. we've, we've you've used the phrase just naturally a couple of times through the through the through the session here but in the right hands mm-hmm. Only an expert can sit on top of it and judge whether that looks like a good response or or not a good response. And then the other one is first draft. Let's not see this as the the final output. This isn't going to make the email that we send. This isn't going to make the copy for the advert that goes out. This isn't going to make the financial statement that gets delivered to, to to the board. This is inspiring you, maybe helping you develop your own thinking, your own ideas, maybe going into a workshop where we rather than starting with blank sheets of paper, we're starting with 20, 50 ideas. Maybe they've already been curated by somebody in the team. So we're starting with this level up before we even start that process. Um, but yeah, just so early to, to be too prescriptive about how to use it, but that approach, that culture to, to explore, to be transparent and to learn those rules together, I think is really interesting. So much for those margaritas on the beach. Um, (laughs) Question really for for both of you is let me flip that last question around a bit and ask each of you, as you've looked at businesses, as you've looked at communications, what are kind of in each of your minds, what are the three best ways that a business can effectively use chat GPT? I start with you, David. That's such a good question. Well, I'm going to go back then to my my big simple lessons here. The first is that it's better than when I do things myself. So maybe I missed some things or I wasn't as complete in my thinking and it helps me flesh them out. Uh, the second is that it's quicker because maybe I could have done that, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't have got around to it. So I get something down on paper that's much quicker. Third, as I said, I'm not a great writer. ChatGPT is a pretty good one off the bat. Uh, and so it's clearer. So I find myself like communicating better information to people uh, much quicker than I otherwise would have done. And I find that it's clearer and much better explained than it otherwise would have done. That's a big multiplication of, of most things I do, actually. Richard, are there specific applications you use this again yeah definitely so I'll, I'll maybe zoom in a bit to think about our strategic marketing and our research processes so a big one for me is um 
mentioned um, brainstorming workshopping a minute ago, people find it very, very hard to put their own perspectives to one side and really think, <laughs> step back, think about the total market. I remember days in the music industry where we, we assumed the whole country had iPhones. Absolutely not. We've got, we've got to step back. We've got to think about who we're developing for. And that starts with thinking about the total market, the universe. So this idea of having chat GPT um, scrape social media, scrape blogs and articles, what's the, what's the the total sum of perspectives out there. What are all the opinions? What are all the views? In market research, we use that regarding needs. What are all the needs regarding a category, not just me and my needs? So that breadth of understanding is really important. Idea generation. Again, I, I mentioned it in terms of workshops, but just coming to the table with a first set of list of ideas or even sparking your own mind no, no, all of those ideas are bad. And, oh, they're bad for these reasons. Okay, right, I've level up. And now I'm stronger going into that next workshop. And then perhaps a micro uh, build on David's point, but David loves the paragraph rewriting. I love the kind of micro wordsmithing as well, whether I'm trying to <laughs> trying to name a, an audience segment in a piece of re research or I'm trying to explain a, a maybe a complex mechanism and just trying to get that in a two-word little soundbite. But yeah, just playing and playing and playing with the tool just to get it to, to play back. Give me 10 more ideas. Give me 20 more ideas. I don't like those. Give me 15 more ideas. Make sure it does <laughs> Use this word. Wow. Make it snappier. Fewer syllables. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great buddy for me on that sense. Well, that's what, you know, one of the, I'll put a plug in for the book now because it is really easy to get through. And, and this is not intuitive to me, right? I'm a words person, but in a sort of a humanities sense, right? I've been a writer for many years and I love the summaries at the end, the recommendations at the end of each chapter. So for those of you who are listening, I highly recommend this. If you, you, you just want to flip through a few chapters at a time, you're going to get a lot out of it and a lot of practical advice. And along those lines, David, I have two questions for you. In the book, you mentioned some ideas for startups that demonstrate ChatGPT's creative ability to help them identify new audiences, growth opportunities, developing effective engagement strategies. Can you walk us through some of those ideas? Yeah. And the first thing we wanted to do, in that, particularly in that chapter, but throughout the book, is to, to test it in very different scenarios. So by the time we get to the innovation section, the, the startup ideas section, we explore nightclub-related businesses, we explore menopause-related content, and we explore healthy snacks-related businesses. So three quite different industries. And we this is us pushing it to the limits and testing, like, where does it work? Where does it fail? Um, these are all yeah, real sure. case studies that we were working on at the time so that we could actually be good judges of whether it was useful or not. Uh, rather than just writing something that was not attached to reality. So yeah, our philosophy in, in all things is start with the audience. So even in this section, when we're coming up with new ideas for startups or businesses, it's first of all, it's very grounded in audience needs um, and audience pain points with existing nightclubs or uh, lack of menopause-related content or um, lack of healthy stack options in certain, certain places. So number one for us is always like, identify customer needs that you want to satisfy. Um, and then there's a whole load of different things we do in the startup section. So first, come up with uh, some business ideas that meet those mm -hmm. unmet needs. 
second, like flesh out the business model behind them a little bit, not just a headline idea, but tell us how that might work. Third, give it some really catchy names, because if you name something, it sticks yeah, in your sure mind and it sticks in everyone else's mind a lot better. Um, and then beyond that, we do things like write a pitch for an investor that will convince them that they should invest immediately in this startup or uh, write a pitch for a, a brand partner that we might work with on this startup and convince them that they should partner with us. And it does a really good job across all of that whole chain of thinking. Um, and even if you don't decide that that's, as Richard said, that's not the startup you want to pursue, you don't have a blank sheet of paper. You've got a bunch of really good ideas that are really well thought through to react to or to improve on or to, to and, challenge and yourself. And did it work with. any better in any one of those industries than others, or was it equally capable? I'd say it's equally capable across those three. There are definitely places it struggles, right. though. Um, and so... If you just think about the, um, the, the, the expanse of data that's available to train it, it's going to be trained much more on English language than any other okay. language. That's going to be trained much more on America than it is on England or other English-speaking countries. Um, probably a lot of white men have written a lot of content <laughs> that, gets, that gets published and therefore gets represented, right? Um, so we talk a lot in the book about the need to overcome these biases it's not that ChatGPT can't give you the perspective of, of different communities and different uh, nationalities and cultures. It's that you have to ask it. Um, and so, it's, so it is capable of, of digging into other people's perspectives. You just have to think about that bias and think about overcoming it and ask it to do that. So, yeah, there are certainly places where it's not, it doesn't have rich training data. And so it's less, less able to help you. Um, but it's generally useful and, and there's, it's hard to find examples where it really can't help. Well, we, we've been talking a little bit about Mike going to the beach with, a, 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 you know, some, I guess, margaritas, a drink of choice for the crux. But I want to ask a question here, which I found really interesting in, in the book. You made an important point about the truism that a job can be done cheaper, faster and better although only two can be chosen at the cost of the third. With AI, you argue that it can do the job cheaper and faster, but not necessarily produce better results. Is that always true, David? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, think what we're, I think what we're trying to say is, even if you assume it's not better, like even if you assume that it's not, it fails every now and then, and you know, I'm so smart, I, I, I could have done better. that. Yeah. Even if you assume that, the fact that it is lightning quick on absolutely uh. any topic in the world um, and, and, and cheap, i.e. free, that already makes it better than you doing it because it would have got there quicker and then exactly. um, it's usable in so many other areas. So actually, no, I, I personally find it on areas where I'm a subject matter expert. I personally find that it picks me up on my inconsistencies. It adds things in that I would have forgotten about. Um, and it generally does a better job. But even if you assume it's not, it's still life-changing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you've already talked about, you know, how one of the problems is that it plays into the pre-existing biases that are already out there in, in the ether on the internet. But I'm just curious, what are the most common problems that businesses using AI tend to encounter with the software? And do you have any recommendations on how best to avoid those? So I think we talked briefly about the kind of 
trying to sense check it with facts. And I, I, I'd hope now the sophisticated users are knowing that there's a better place to go for that. And I think it's quite hard to define the specific uses for ChatGPT, but yeah. we're definitely playing in the right area when we're talking about accessing content at scale, the ability to condense that very easily, very smartly for a wide range of audiences, and possibly the ability to re rewrite your own work. So, so the other thing we talked about briefly, and I want to come back to just because we referenced two new AI programs, one from Microsoft, one from Google, and, and we talked about the, the challenges they had with their launch or the examples that they used in their demos. But what I'd like to get your sense of is what makes these programs different than ChatGPT and, and what might you know, what's really not just differentiating, what, but what might be better. The only reason I say that is because I know that a lot of corporate entities are bought into a Microsoft approach or a Google approach, and we may see more of those grow. And then beyond that, kind of what's next and what do you see on the horizon for AI, particularly in this, in this text-based world? Yeah, well, first I would say to most people, um, you shouldn't worry about Bing or uh, Google. A much better use of your time is taking something that's already available, ChatGPT, and that is already capable of saving you a massive amount of time so you can sit on the beach with a margarita <laughs> or, or enabling you to, to achieve so much more, uh, your choice. Um, but a much better use of your time is working out how to get very, very good at using that rather than worrying about what's coming and what's possible and what might be true. So first of all, almost everybody, that is the right answer. Don't worry about it. Okay, but for anybody who has already mastered it, okay, you're now allowed to ask that question. You're now allowed to go on. And I think that it, there will be so many different AIs with so many different capabilities. Uh, Bing's integration, for example, is all about adding recent knowledge which solves the, the big problem with ChatGPT because it can look up knowledge on the web and it can answer current knowledge and, and it can give you sources for, uh, for its evidence as well. That's amazing and revolutionary. Although, as we saw from the demo, <laughs> there's quite a lot of errors that still make it in. So ah, we'll wait and see. But that enables a whole load of new use cases. Uh, by the way, that doesn't change anything about how we wrote the book. <laughs> but... <laughs> It does enable a lot of extra use cases on top of that as well. So we will be an update to the book as soon as that's out and reliable. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that Google's will have additional capabilities or specialisms or nuances where it's better for this. But I think the biggest story by far is going to be the integration of AI into existing tools and workflows. Uh, and that's why Bing is exciting because a lot of people, not many, but some people already go to Bing every day, and now uh, AI is right there and is a natural part of their life. And when Microsoft put it into Teams and when they put it into Excel and PowerPoint and Word, then it will, uh, and only then, will it get true mass adoption, put it in the places people are already going, and, and, they, That's right. and help them to do the thing that they're trying to do when they get there. 
Simple as that. I'm amazed that now 100 million people have gone to a specialist website to do to do a really special thing because that's not normally how tech rolls out. Normally, it's integration into existing workflows. So that's what I'm really excited about. You know, one of the things I'm really curious about, too, is in this day and age when we've got uh, lots of different things occurring on the Internet, and here's yet another tool to pull information together, I wonder if there's a role here for AI in combating misinformation and disinformation in some of these virtual spaces? And if so, have you actually seen any instances of tech companies, media companies, or businesses trying to use them in this way? That is such a good use case for it. I've not, I've not read anything about that, but that feels like a cracking use case. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the beauties of these AIs is that they understand intent and meaning to a level that's not previously been possible. So when you talked before about the robots that produced summaries of earning statements, robots are a good word because it was relatively robotic yes. in the way in which they interpreted it. Whereas um, these current generation of AI is much closer to true understanding, actually does not understand, right. but it's much closer to true understanding. And so it can read between the lines, it can accept nuance, it can, it can say, well, he was using this language, but I think he actually was talking about this thing over here. <laughs> and so, yeah, misinformation would be a great, great use yeah, case. Yeah, that would be terrific. And by the way, on Bing, I've, I'm on the waiting list for the, what's the timeline on that, Richard and David? It's like the new fashion line for the spring. I'm waiting, you know, to be notified the product is available. Or it's something. like we used to see the lines for Tickle Me Elbow. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, this is a fascinating discussion. And again, I, I, I'm going to sound like your agents, Richard and David, but this book is really helpful for people who are in our space and uh, want to learn about how to put this to use in a smart an effective way. The title of the book is Prompt, A Practical Guide to AI-Powered Brand Growth with ChatGPT by our guests, Richard Bowman and David Boyle. How can our listeners uh, get the book? Uh, so the website, prompt.mba is the best place to go to. And there you'll find our list of services, um, generating blogs and content and video content there. So yeah, check us out, reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Terrific. David and Richard, thank you so much for being on The Crux. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Crux and make sure to listen for our next episode. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and on Twitter. And you can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on our website, thecruxpodcast.org.